so back before I was a pastor, uh, I've talked about this before, but uh, before I was a pastor, I ran a nonprofit photojournalism organization called World Next Door. And basically what that meant is that I traveled all around the world and I embedded like a, like a journalist with different organizations that were doing things to heal injustice and uh, some of the, the other broken places of our world. And one of the things that I wanted to do as a part of that was I wanted to live as deeply into the culture as I possibly could wherever I was to be able to understand what life was really like there and what God was doing there. I wanted to know what is it like for somebody who's experiencing significant injustice. And so during one of my trips, uh, it actually wasn't international, I went to New York City and I embedded with New York City Relief, which is one of Grace's partners. New York City Relief, also known as the Relief Bus, uh, they work with uh, homeless individuals and families and it's, it's, it's incredible ministry. And I thought, okay, what is the number one best way that I can understand what, it, what life is like for those who are facing homelessness in New York City? Why don't I live homeless for a few days and see what it's like? And so that's what I did. I spent four days and three nights by myself, homeless in Manhattan. I uh, slept on the floor of Penn Station. I checked into a homeless shelter. I ate at soup kitchens. Uh, and yeah, it was an intense experience. I could talk all about it if you want to hear more later. But there was one ground rule I gave myself to try to make the experience a little bit more real. Obviously, it was pretend. I had a phone I could use to call somebody in case of emergencies. I had a Metro card so I could leave if I needed to. It wasn't real homelessness, but the ground rule that I had was I wasn't going to take any money and I wasn't going to take a credit card. And so I had no money at all to be able to go into this experience. And if I wanted to eat anywhere that wasn't a soup kitchen, I was going to have to panhandle for it. So that's what I did. I went to a, uh, a subway, there, you know, a stairwell, stairwell where a bunch of commuters were coming and going, and I sat on the ground and I began to beg. My very first evening, uh, homeless in New York City, I started asking people for money. Sir, uh, sir, do you have a dollar? Ma'am, uh, can I have a quarter, please? It took all of like five to 10 minutes for it to become one of the most humiliating and dehumanizing experiences of my entire life. And you can imagine why, because as people were walking by when they saw me, they looked away. They didn't want to make eye contact with me. Sometimes people would actually lock eyes with me and then realize what was happening and look away really fast and pretend that I didn't exist. It took like no time at all for me to start getting so aggravated because it felt like I wasn't a person. I, I didn't feel like a human. People were ignoring my very existence. Literally after about 15 minutes, I wanted to stand up and shout, would somebody just look at me? Look at me, I'm right here, I'm a human. It was intense. It was dehumanizing. And there were a few moments, though, that were like little glimmers of light. Every now and then someone would, would you know, come up to me. They'd maybe give me a quarter or they'd, they'd, uh, you know, they'd say, sorry, man, I, I can't help you. But they'd actually acknowledge me. And I wanted to hug them. I was like, thank you. Thank you for at least acknowledging that I'm here. Now, again, the experience, uh, it was only 45 minutes of panhandling or whatever, but so it wasn't real. I mean, I, I, I wasn't depending on this for my survival, but holy cow, that experience changed my perspective on homelessness forever. I mean, since that day, I have never once walked past someone who is homeless without at least making eye contact, if not at least saying something to them like, hey, hope you're doing okay, can't help you, or here's, here's a dollar, or something. Like, I, it changed my perspective on homelessness forever. Because the isolation of those moments, while people were ignoring my existence, they stung. Those moments stung deeply. 
they also open my eyes to something that I think is going to be important for us to remember as we talk about isolation today. They open my eyes to the emotional toll of isolation, what it actually does to you in your spirit to be ignored and to be isolated and alone. And again, that's important because we are talking about how do we heal isolation and we can't heal it if we don't understand it. So this is week four of our series, Never Alone, focused on what it means to heal the broken place of isolation. And uh, I know that this series has struck a chord with at least some of you because uh, I've, I've received you know, lots of emails and comments from many of you and several of you have mentioned that this has actually maybe dug up some kind of painful stuff for you because you find yourself pretty isolated as well. One, uh, one woman wrote me and, and she said, you know, she's put herself out there. She signed up for, you know, programs. She's tried to get connected into life groups, but it, somehow it still feels like she's always on the outside looking in. Another person told me that uh, because of some of his health conditions, he doesn't feel comfortable going out in public. He doesn't feel like he can, uh, you know, go back to work or any of these places. And so as a result, a lot of the relationships and friendships that he had before the pandemic, they've all kind of just started to shrivel up, right? Out of sight, out of mind. It's kind of what's happened to him. There's also a, uh, a new widow, recent widow in our church who wrote me to tell me that uh, she's trying She's trying to do many of the social things that she used to do with her husband, but for some reason, she just can't seem to connect. And it feels like people just walk right by her. That's the isolation that she feels. So all that to say, I'm hearing from you and, and, and seeing everything we see around us in the world, there are a lot of different kinds of isolation, but the effect of all of it is the same. Isolation takes us from a person and makes us into a thing. It, it dehumanizes us. In a community like ours, which is meant to be spiritual family, many of us are finding ourselves increasingly, increasingly alone, especially in the middle of this pandemic. And that's not even mentioning the epidemic of isolation that's going on in the world around us, right? We've got our work cut out for us if we really believe that we're going to try to heal isolation. But I'm just going to say this, Grace Church, it's why we're here. This is why we are here. We are called by God to heal the broken places of this world in Jesus' name. And so, yes, we have an uphill battle to try to heal isolation in a very isolated time. But guys, we're going to keep at it because it's who we are. A quick reminder, uh, before we jump into the to the the Bible passage for today, there are some resources that we're offering you throughout this series, especially if you find yourself isolated. Um, but, but for all of us, there are resources on our website, gracechurch.us hope, where you can find um, more uh, materials to pursue, to read, including uh, one thing we have on our website where you can, if you're looking to support somebody who's isolated, you can go onto the website and you can uh, give us your name and you'll connect immediately to somebody. And if you are feeling isolated, you can go on and say, hey, I might need a little bit of help. I might need to connect with somebody. And guess what? There'll be somebody there to connect with you. So it's, it's just one way that we're offering for you to be able to have some, somebody praying to, with and somebody connecting with you in this isolated time. But of all the things that we're offering, of all the, the ways that we can give you a next step, the single most practical way that you can find healing for isolation in your own life is to go through Rooted. I know we talk about it a lot. You're probably sick of hearing us talk about it. But if you have not yet done Rooted, 
Let me tell you, it will be probably one of the fastest ways to go deep with a community of people and to actually have friends and family that, that, that know you, that love you, that are connected with you. Okay, so consider that if you haven't done it. Yes, it's a high bar, 10 weeks, it's a big commitment, but it is one of the fastest ways that you can find yourself inside of a deep spiritual family. So please consider it. Okay, real quick recap of where we've been in this series so far. In the first week, uh, I talked about the fact that the path out of isolation begins with dignity, with dignity. Uh, seeing the image of God in one another. Dignity was the exact thing that I didn't have when I was isolated in that subway, right? Dignity is the beginning of healing isolation. In the second week, Tim showed us what true hospitality looks like. Not just, you know, hosting a dinner party, but actually opening up your life for those who are isolated to come in. Opening your life. Last week, Marin painted a really beautiful picture of what isolation looks like when it's healed. And the word she focused on was unity. This is what it could be when we are able to heal isolation. We are one. We are unified. And today we are going to talk about what I think is a vital ingredient in the, the desire to heal isolation and its proximity. Proximity, being close with somebody, being in proximity with them. So to do that, we are going to look at another story in the Bible of Jesus healing somebody. We looked at that in week one. We're going to look at that again. So, or Actually, he didn't heal someone the first. Maybe he did. Interesting. It, it was more of him encountering somebody, but all that to say, he encounters another isolated person and it leads to healing. So let's, let's look at that. It's going to be in Luke 5, starting in verse 12. And while you're doing that, while you're turning there, I have something very important to tell you all, very important and very, you know, intense and heavy. We adopted a puppy. So I just had to share this with you. Her name is Cleo and she is an absolute doll and we are obsessed with her and she's wonderful. She's our little farm dog and we love her. This has nothing to do with the message whatsoever. I just thought, you know what? We all need a little joy. We all need, look at her. Come on, come on. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that. Yes. Um, we all just need a little smile every now and then. So there's your smile. It's Cleo and she is a doll. Okay, so where were we? Oh yes, Jesus. So in Luke 5, up to this point in the gospel, Jesus is kind of just getting his ministry off the ground. He's just starting to teach and heal and, and you know, move through Galilee and start really blowing people's minds. And it's about to take off at a whole new level here because of this miracle. So let's read what happens. Luke 5, starting in verse 12. In one of the villages that Jesus was passing through, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Well, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instruction, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Okay, it's a simple story, relatively simple, but there are some details in here that I think are really important for us to dig into. And we'll start with this. What is leprosy? 
Maybe you're familiar with the term leprosy, but in case you're not, let me just describe it to you a little bit in the biblical sense. Now, there is a modern disease that's called leprosy. It's called Hansen's disease. It's another, uh, another name for it. And it's a bacterial infection that actually affects your skin. It affects your nervous system. It's, it's really awful. It's a rough disease. Now, the Bible likely does include Hansen's disease when it's talking about leprosy, but scholars are pretty much in agreement that in the ancient world, when you talked about leprosy, it actually described a whole range of different skin conditions, everything from psoriasis to uh, the effects of mold and mildew. Uh, there's a whole range of different things that could have been under that banner of leprosy. So that's what the Bible's talking about, skin diseases, uh, you know, in the ancient world. Now, in the ancient Jewish world especially, having any of these skin diseases, having leprosy, having all of this stuff, it was a recipe for isolation. For one thing, remember, this was in the ancient world. They did not know anything about germ theory. They didn't have antibiotics. And so there's really no way to know if you had something on your skin, some skin condition, whether that was contagious whether it was deadly, you just, you just didn't know. And so it was way wiser to keep your distance from somebody who had a skin disease. It could easily infect you or your family. It, you know, it's better to keep your distance. Which is why in the Old Testament law of Moses, there are these really detailed and kind of honestly a little bit stomach churning uh, regulations for how to deal with this kind of stuff. If you had what the Bible calls leprosy, you were considered spiritually unclean spiritually unclean, which meant, uh, you know, we don't have categories of clean and unclean, but, but they did, you know, we would say like good, evil. They would say there's, there's good, there's bad, there's clean, there's unclean. And if you were unclean, it meant that you couldn't go to the temple to worship. It meant that you couldn't really be in public gatherings. And it meant that you really couldn't touch anybody because here's why. That uncleanliness, that spiritual uncleanliness was contagious. If somebody touches you or you touch somebody else, they become spiritually unclean as well. Boom, just like that, they're unclean too, which requires a whole process to be able to be made clean again. And, and at the very least, it's a nuisance, but at the very worst, it cuts you off from your faith. It's a really big deal. And uh, to make sure that this spiritual and obviously sometimes physical contagion was kept at bay, uh, the law required that anyone who was, had leprosy, when they were in public, they had to actually tear their clothes, they had to mess up their hair and look all disheveled, and they had to walk through the streets saying, unclean, unclean, as they walked everywhere. Take a second, imagine that. Imagine being a leper in the ancient world. Imagine everywhere you went, not only do people want to keep their distance from you, but you have to shout your condition everywhere you go. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Imagine. Now, hopefully that gives us a little bit of a sense of what this man's life might have been as he comes to encounter Jesus. It's no wonder that in verse 12, he bows with his face to the ground. The man was desperate. He was desperate. He says, if you are willing, you, Jesus, can heal me and make me clean. In other words, you can end my living hell of isolation. You can bring me back to life. Wow. Now, the fact that Jesus heals this man is wonderful. It really is. It's, it's awesome. And in, in the Gospel of Luke, it's one of the main things that starts to establish his 
credibility as the Messiah, as the Son of God. So the fact that he physically heals this man is amazing. But I don't want to look at just the fact that he heals his body. I want to look at how he does it. Because I think this is where we'll really start to talk about how Jesus heals this man's isolation. Because he doesn't just heal his physical condition. He actually brings him back into community. So let me show you why. Let me show you how. All through the Gospels, if you, you know, read the different stories of Jesus healing people, it doesn't really seem like there's any kind of uh, rhyme or reason to the way that he goes about healing people. For example, sometimes he heals people by speaking. Sometimes he tells a dead person, get up. Sometimes he says a person is healed and they're healed like miles away. Uh, one time, or sometimes he prays before he heals somebody, sometimes he doesn't. One time, and this is the weirdest one, there's a blind man, and so Jesus spits into the dirt, makes some mud, puts the mud on the guy's eyes, and then the man can, can see. So there's no rhyme or reason to this. There's a lot, a lot of different ways, presumably, that Jesus could have healed this man, but he healed him in a very specific way. What was it? Look at verse 13. It says, Jesus reached out and touched him. He touched him. Think about that. After all we just talked about, with, with all the stuff that leprosy would do to someone socially, the uncleanliness, Jesus reached out and he touched this spiritually unclean, untouchable leper. He got close to him. He, he broke through the bubble. Now, under normal circumstances, that would have been pretty clearly a problem because Jesus would have, boom, he would have been spiritually unclean as well, right? The moment he touched that leper, boom, now he's unclean. Or maybe he got the disease. Maybe now he's going to have leprosy too, right? That would be what would happen under normal circumstances. And I imagine all the people who were around him, all the other villagers watching this happen would have been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that Jesus just touched him. This rabbi is now unclean. Rabbis were famously the ones who stayed very far away from any kind of uncleanliness. That was a big deal. They wanted to keep their distance. And so here's this rabbi, Jesus, who's willingly touching a leper. It's scandalous. It's scandalous. And so you'd think, wow, Jesus willingly became unclean, except that's not what happened. That's not what happened because no, Jesus didn't take this man's uncleanliness on himself. The reverse happened. Jesus' cleanliness, his spiritual holiness, it got transferred to the man. The touch of the Messiah reversed the flow of shame. Think about that. Jesus was willing to be in close proximity to this isolated man when no one else was. And what it did is it healed him. Not just his physical body, it healed his, his isolation. Think about it. Without his skin disease, you know, mar marking this man as untouchable, he could re-enter society. He could, he could go to public gatherings again. He could walk through town without shouting out, unclean, unclean. He could be touched and hugged and held. Yes, Jesus healed this man. But he healed way more than just his body. He healed his shame. That first touch was just the first of many that this man could now experience. Now there's, there's a small little detail in this story, a part of it that we kind of overlook because it seems a little weird. But if you look at the next verse, look at what happens, okay? Jesus heals this man, but then he says this in verse 14. Jesus tells the man, okay, go to the priest, let him examine you, take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. Okay, 
this seems like a little bit of bureaucracy to me. It's like, okay, you just did this big miracle and now it's like, okay, you're gonna go, you're gonna go down to the, to the uh, office of skin conditions and, and file the form of healing of leprosy by miracle, which I think is 899B. Make sure it's signed in triplicate. It's like, what, what are you doing, Jesus? You just healed a guy. What's the big deal? But here's why he's doing this. Here's why he's doing this. Yes, this man's body is healed, but Jesus knows something. He knows that until this man is certified, until he is legally certified as spiritually clean, until the priests give him their official stamp of approval, well then guess and say, yeah, his leprosy is gone. Jesus knows that there would always be a shadow hanging over this man. There'd always be doubt, right? There'd always be a little bit of hesitation on his neighbor's part. They'd think, mm, is he really clean? Is it really safe to get close to this man? Jesus knew that, that the legacy of this man's leprosy would endure. And so he wants to make sure that this man isn't just healed in his body, that he's healed in his spiritual uncleanliness so that he can re-enter community again. It's not just bureaucracy. Jesus wants to bring him home. Go to the temple. This will be, as it says, a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Now, one other little interesting thing in this passage that I honestly, I kind of was chewing on a little bit as, as I was working on this message. If you look at this version of the story, as well as the version in Mark and Matthew, you see that Jesus tells the leper pretty clearly, look, you need to not tell anybody about this. Just go straight to the temple, get it all sorted out. But then, especially in Matthew and Mark, it's pretty clear the man then goes off and tells everybody what happened. And what's the consequence of this? Well, all of a sudden, huge crowds start coming to Jesus. You can imagine why. I mean, there were probably a lot of skin diseases back in that day, plus all these other diseases. And so all of a sudden, you've got all these people coming to Jesus. Heal us, please, teach us, listen. And so he can't get, a, he can't get away. He's surrounded by people. And it's pretty much this way for the rest of his ministry. He's completely crushed by these throngs of people looking for healing. You could say, in a sense, that... This healing of this man disrupted Jesus' work-life balance. It says here, it says he has to go away into the wilderness to pray. And I know we're thinking like, oh, okay, you know, get your, get your hammock and, and your tent and go out into the, you know, by the lake. Or, no, no, no. The wilderness in the ancient world, I mean, they, they don't have freeze-dried food, right? This is a chaotic, a dangerous place. There's wild animals. You don't go to the wilderness for fun. He had to go to the wilderness just to get any peace and quiet, right? So Jesus... I'm sure knew this was going to happen. He knew this was going to happen, and yet he willingly risked that. He, he gave up his work-life balance because he wanted to heal this man. I think that's so interesting. Now, all that to say, this is a simple little story, right? It's only a few verses. But I believe that this story says a lot about what it means to heal isolation in the way of Jesus. To bring this hurting man back into community, Jesus touches him. He touches him. He, he risks the social stigma of being unclean himself, or at least appearing to be that way. He risks catching whatever disease this man has, and he risks his own time and energy, knowing that the word of this miracle is going to spread, even if he tells him not to spread it. Jesus risks all of this. And I know, yes, He's the Messiah. He knew he wasn't going to be unclean. He's the son of God. He knew he wasn't going to get this disease. But still, he could have just spoken a word and the man could have walked away healed. He could have snapped his fingers and the guy got healed a week later. He could have done all kinds of things to heal this man, but he didn't. 
in a public setting, he put his hand on the leper's body and he healed him. And he healed him in that way. He got close. He had proximity with him because he wanted everyone to know that this man wasn't just healed, he was also clean. Remember I said that dignity is the beginning? It's the, the path out of isolation begins with dignity. Well, that's what Jesus had with this man. He saw this man's identity. He saw him as a, son, as a, a child of God and he loved him for who he was. He risked it all because he understood that healing isolation requires proximity. He could have healed his body, but if he wanted to heal his, his isolation, he had to get close. He had to touch him. So, okay, here's a question. A question for all of us. Uh, I know we don't deal a lot with leprosy in our lives, but we sure do deal with isolation. There's a lot of isolation around us right now. What would it look like? What would it look like if all of us approached the isolated people in our world with the same attitude? What if we approached people with proximity? We were willing to get close. Now, I know what you're thinking because obviously proximity is the exact thing that we are not supposed to have right now, right? We can't get close to people because unlike leprosy, which you might catch and maybe you're willing to risk that, uh, with this disease, with COVID, it's like, well, I might actually give you the disease, which is not what I want to do. So that's why I'm keeping my distance. So Okay, we're not supposed to be close. Is it even possible to have proximity with somebody in the midst of social distancing? Why are we even talking about this, right? Good questions. Great questions. I'm so glad you asked. Let's talk about that. How do you get in proximity with an isolated person while socially distanced? Let's talk about it. When Jesus healed this leper, we'll start with this. When he healed this leper, he crossed what I'll call a threshold of fear. A threshold of fear. All of the, the, the public mentality of what would happen if he got close to this man, he had to cross over that threshold. And it is the same threshold that every one of us has to cross over to love those who are isolated. For example, Jesus had to face the fear of becoming spiritually unclean. Again, I know he knew that he, wasn't, he wouldn't, but... He had to face that at least public fear of what it would mean to touch someone with leprosy. It's going to change the way that people look at him. Well, today, like I said, we don't think of things in categories of clean and unclean, but we sure do have a fear of losing our status, don't we? I'm, just think back. Think to the times when you've seen someone who maybe an, an isolated classmate or coworker, someone that you feel bad for. How often secretly in your mind, have you thought, I really shouldn't be seen talking to this person. It might look bad. Or have you ever encountered someone who's, who's awkward or unpopular and yet you think, you think, oh, I don't want people to think that we're friends, right? I don't want people to think less of me. It's going to make me look bad. You, you, we've thought that before, right? You've probably thought that. Proximity, even virtual proximity, association, association with someone, it has a cost, it requires that we cross a, a threshold of fear. Or maybe, maybe just like leprosy, you're afraid that you might catch whatever that person has. Unpopularity, weirdness, uh, dysfunction, pain. Are you willing to reach out? Are you willing to touch somebody if you know that it might affect you in return? Or maybe, maybe that threshold of fear is, is what it might cost you 
what it might cost you to, to be close to somebody. Maybe you're afraid, uh, well, I mean, it costs Jesus his peace and quiet, could be that. Or maybe, maybe you're worried that if you reach out to that uh, elderly neighbor, well, then they're just gonna start talking your ear off all the time and you're gonna lose all your free time. Or maybe, maybe you're worried that, you know, if you talk to that homeless person, maybe you'll be unsafe. Maybe if you reach out to that isolated teenager who just, you know, wants to gripe about how bad their life is all the time, maybe it's gonna sap all your, all your energy, right? You had a long day, who wants to do that? That struggling addict, well, they could take your money. That isolated widow could drain your emotions. That friend in an abusive relationship might bring some of that pain into your life or into your family. I'll say it again. Proximity, healing isolation requires proximity, but proximity can be costly. It can be costly. And yet, Jesus touched the leper. He touched him. He risked risked his own cleanliness to bring healing to this man. He sacrificed his own work-life balance by letting word of this miracle spread. Despite the cost, Jesus chose proximity with an isolated man, and the result was healing. When I was panhandling in New York City, when I was, I was begging for money, like I said, it was, you know, 45 minutes. It was really dehumanizing. It was, it was really, it stung deeply how, how quickly people ignore me. I talked about that. Now, during that experience, there was one moment where a young man came up to me. He looked me in the eyes. He gave me a $5 bill. Up to that point, I'd pretty much only gotten like maybe a couple bucks out of some quarters. He gave me a $5 bill and he said, hey man, I hope you get through this. Looked me in the eyes and said, hey man, I hope you get through this. And then he walked away. And I got to tell you, I took that $5. I walked up out, out of the subway. I walked over to a hot dog cart. I got a hot dog and I ate it. I ate that hot dog. And as I ate, I wept. I wept. Not because of the food, not because of the money. I wept because that man had given me dignity. He had looked me in the eyes and he had made me feel like a human again. That experience changed me forever. I will never forget the kindness of that man who looked me in the eyes, who saw me as a person, who was willing to to cross that threshold of fear and enter into proximity with me. Never forget that. Never. Again, I was pretending, right? I wasn't really homeless. Those 45 minutes, four days of homelessness, that's nothing. It's nothing compared to the real thing. But that's going to stick with me. That experience is going to stick with me. And that man's kindness will never leave me. Proximity heals isolation. So let me ask you this. Again, what would happen if we all approached those who were isolated in our world in the same way? What if we lived that way as a church? If we, Grace Church, collectively crossed through the threshold of fear and chose proximity, what would it look like? Look, we've said it so many times in this series already. Our world is chronically isolated We're painfully lonely. We are literally dying from it. What would it look like if we were to approach everyone we saw with proximity in this time? I believe it is time for us as a church to be the hands and feet of Jesus and touch the leper. 
to choose proximity and to watch as God's healing work flows through us and into the broken world. The touch of the Messiah reverses the flow of shame. And guess what? You are representatives of the Messiah. Your proximity will do the same. You can reverse the flow of shame in our broken world if you get close. So here's what I want you to do right now. I just want to take a moment and, and give you a chance to reflect and think of one person in your life. Think of one person who's isolated right now. It could be any kind of isolation. It could be uh, mental isolation, physical isolation, emotional isolation. Maybe a family member, a friend, a classmate, a coworker. Think of somebody. Get them in your mind. Get that one person in your mind. And then ask yourself this. What is God's Holy Spirit asking you to do? What does proximity look like for that one person? Ask God, what does it look like? And then ask yourself, am I willing to do that? Now, while you're praying about that, I want to turn to those of us those of you who feel isolated yourself right now for any reason. I know that, that you're here. I know that we are isolated because you've been telling me, you've been emailing me. If that's you, if you feel isolated, if you feel uh, like a leper, if you feel like on the, you're on the outside looking in, then I want to remind you of something from this story. This leper he had every reason in the world to avoid getting close to Jesus. Think about what could have happened based on what we know about his life. This leper, he could have been shouted at by the crowd. He could have been mocked or ridiculed by people. Worse yet, he could have been rejected by this rabbi. This popular rabbi could have called him out and said, get away from me, you're unclean. That could have happened to him and yet, in his desperation to be made clean, to be brought back into community, he approached Jesus, fell on his face, and asked for healing. Will you do the same? Will you put yourself out there and find healing? Will you stop believing the lies about your self-worth? Will you stop walking through the streets shouting, unclean, unclean, because you don't think that you're worthy to be healed? Will you put yourself out there and tell somebody what you're experiencing? Tell somebody that you're isolated. Share it with somebody. It could be a conversation. It could be texting somebody. You could do it through our website like I talked about. Will you take that bold step and approach the people of God with your isolation? I'll tell you what, it's going to make it a whole lot easier for the people of God to respond. Will you put yourself out there? We want to be close to you. We want to be in proximity. Now, I'll tell you this. Nobody in this church, as it happens, is Jesus. Nobody's perfect. So we will let you down. We're going to disappoint you. But look, as Marin said last week, isolation likes to hide in the shadows. Don't stay in the darkness. Don't stay in the darkness. Be bold. Make your isolation known. 
Now, I can't guarantee that, you know, by doing that, suddenly your life's gonna turn into an episode of Friends, okay? I can't guarantee that. But I can tell you this. If you put yourself out there and you share your isolation, you may very well begin to experience the glimmer of light and hope that you've been waiting for. Because we are not afraid to be in proximity to you. You are in our family, our spiritual family. And guys, in the kingdom of God, you are never alone.